0: Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, a podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Hey, well, welcome to our first ever uh, Mike and Mike Theology Plus uh, podcast, videocast Um if you're looking for the podcast, you'd like to listen to this as you're driving into work. That information will be in the description below.
1: You might want to do that because we've been told we have the perfect face for radio. <laughs>
0: Perhaps, yeah. That's why in my previous videos, you know, you just saw slides and heard my voice. Uh, but today isn't. But by the time this gets published, it's going to be Halloween. Or Reformation Day. Reformation Day. I was going to say, or All Saints' Day Eve. Right. Right. Yes. Or Reformation Day. Hence this red door behind us uh, because apparently the door that Luther nailed his 95 theses to 501 years ago today uh, was red. So, yeah. So they have red doors on all the Lutheran churches Mm -hmm. throughout Germany, from what I hear. So, not too long ago, uh, Michael sent me a list of 94 uh, theses that um, David Brondos wrote last year at the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and uh, we thought it would be a great topic for us to launch into uh, for this podcast, and uh, would be good since it's coming out on Reformation Day. So... um, when we were talking back and forth on email, you'd mentioned some of your goals in doing any type of critique or something like this, and you'd mentioned three different things that you would look for. Maybe I, I didn't warn you, but uh, <laughs> that's fine. Do you remember <laughs> I, what I come prepared? So, maybe if you remember what those were, I know you were saying you're looking to be.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's important. Um, you know, I will go ahead and give my overall grade of the 94 Theses. It's bad, yeah. um, it's real bad. Um, but that being said, I think it's important to be as charitable as we can. I think it's always important to read an author um, a, as much as they would intend you to read their work, right? And, and I think we can do that, I think we can hear this author say what he means, and then interact with the assertions that he makes. We don't need to straw man it. We don't need to caricature it. We can be fair. We can be charitable, and then fairly and charitably look at what he says and hold it up to Scripture and see um, what's good, what's bad. And and in particular, um, I want to make sure that we highlight the good things, because this is not 94 bad points. Um, Maybe... 80-ish mm-hmm. or so right. but there, there are some things in here uh a couple of times i say you know i i think i agree with the words on the page i'm not sure that if he and i hashed out our definitions i would agree uh there's other things where i i think i'm in complete agreement with him and so um i, I think it's important to be loving it's important to be charitable and it's also important to recognize that uh, people who are mistaken aren't wrong on everything. Um, I I have a lot of issue, this being a Reformation Day episode, I have a lot of issue with the Church of Rome. I have a lot of issue with Roman Catholicism. But they also get a lot of stuff right. A lot of things that we would agree with. And I think it's important to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think it's important to be critical and say um, the, the Pope can say right and true things without us having to agree with the Gospel of Rome. And so... Uh, I, I just want to keep that balance as we go through this and say uh, we're, we're critically examining what he says, we're hopefully holding it up to Scripture to see does it hold water, but um, doing so in the, as charitable and as loving a fashion as we can. Yeah, and uh, I appreciated those
0: sentiments. Uh, that's exactly what at least we're taught to do uh, when you're reading someone's um, paper for school That you're supposed to read them in the most charitable light possible. Um, Because we assume that folks aren't just ignorant or stupid that are writing at this level, so we interpret them in a way that is charitable, and then we can still find places where we disagree and be charitable in that disagreement. So, just in case you're concerned, we're not going to go through all 94 (laughs) of the
1: the theses. And, Um, And to be honest i didn't go through all 94 and i got into the 80s and gave up right you know just i couldn't i couldn't keep going yeah
0: so i will uh link this uh in the description as well below, so you can get a copy of that you can go through what we're reading as well um but i thought maybe uh, we would just start with the first one of the theses and uh do you want to read that and then maybe we can discuss it some yeah it
1: says the only true god is the god who loves all people equally, unconditionally, and unreservedly. This is the God proclaimed by Jesus and the writings of the Old and New Testaments. Any who believe in a God who does not love all people equally, unconditionally, and unreservedly believe in a false God. By no means, however, are Christians the only ones who believe in the true God or in Jesus. Okay,
0: so a lot's being said there um, and I think until we get to that last sentence there's a way that I could agree with most of what he's saying if understood a particular way which I, I agree with your comment that if you and and he were to hash that out maybe you would find that he means more than what the, the plain sense of the words are but certainly I just was reading Galatians last night where Paul says that in Christ Jesus, there's no um, Greek or Jew. There's no slave or master. There's no male or female. And so in a certain sense, God does love everyone
1: equally. Um, So in that sense, would you be taking people there to be... Uh, more categories than individuals? Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain way you could
0: say God loves the the whole world. I don't think that that's necessarily what he means here. I don't know. I think he means more on an individual level where there's obviously verses that would would counter um, that.
1: So, Tell us what
0: you had for your
1: notes there. Um, yeah, so it, it was interesting that I started reading this not long after I listened to an episode of The Dividing Line. Um, one of my guys that I listen to a whole lot is James White. And on, and I will go ahead and maybe we can link this. I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. But he did an episode October 18th of 2018. Um, and it was an open phone. So this was in response to a caller who asked him a particular question but the timestamp that I'm referencing is 36 minutes and 45 seconds in. He's being challenged on the doctrine of election uh, and kind of Calvinism in general, and he explains to the caller how we understand that we don't love everyone the same. Um, I'm married, and I love my wife differently than I love other women. Uh, I love my children differently than I love other children. And so, and we just recognize that as natural. We just recognize Yes, right. Uh, My wife's not going to appreciate if I go out and love other women in the same way that I love her. Nor Um, will I. Exactly, yes. Uh, So um, I think it's important to start with the point that if we allow ourselves as humans to have complex emotions, that it's very legitimate and and in a sense required since we're in the Imago Dei, that, that God can have complex emotions as well. So just at a base level, presuming that God must logically love everyone equally, unconditionally, and unreservedly, that, that's just a that's a conclusion that has a lot of underlying assumptions that I would challenge. Um, getting into particulars, if we go into scripture, first thing that pops into my head is Malachi. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated right?
0: Well, I was thinking the Romans reference to that, but yeah, Malachi. Well, I, in, in my, I have,
1: what about Malachi slash Romans, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you get into Romans chapter 9, you go back into Exodus, um, God did not love Pharaoh in the same way that he loved the Israelites. He did not love the Egyptians that he drowned in the sea in the same way that he loved the Israelites that he brought safely through the sea. Th- those, are, those are not absolutely equal love by God. Um, and so, As a culture or society, we don't love Hitler like we love Mother Teresa. Those,
0: in our society, those are at opposite ends of a spectrum. Uh, We treat people differently based on, not only our relationships to
1: them, but their behaviors. Well, when I read this, I'm making assumptions. Granted, I'm going a little beyond what's actually on the page, but um, I'm, I'm presuming that this comes from a theological standpoint, that, I, and I think this assumption is borne out in more of the theses later, that this is a, somewhat of a universalistic perspective. Um, there is just this presumption about the character and nature of God that it must be a certain way, and universalism fits that mold, and it's just assumed, it's never proved. Uh, and I think as we get later on, we'll, we'll see that my assumption on that is correct, and so I think we we should rightly debate Is God's love unconditional? Is it unreserved? Does it go to everyone in exactly the same way? And I would say no. I would say very clearly no. The ultimate proof of that is I believe in hell. Uh, I believe that there ultimately are those who end up in heaven, in the beatific vision, in the presence of God, for all eternity. And there are those who end up in the outer darkness, in the lake of fire, in hell, whatever term you want to use for it. That are eternally separated from God, and I cannot reconcile how those would be the same love, equally unreservedly. Right. You know, whatever he uses, that 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 just makes a mockery of those terms. So um, I I read number one, and in my head I've got this you know danger Robinson danger lights going off, and uh, so I, I don't think he has a basis for these assertions. Um, you know. You look at the last statement. I've got a real problem with that. Yeah, so let's reread the
0: last statement. Uh, by no means, let's pick up any, uh, any who believe in a God who does not love all people equally, unconditionally, and unreservedly believe in a false God. So there, it's telling to me that he's going to call out anyone who disagrees with him on this point is believing in a false God. And it's not a formal Contradiction in what he's saying, but it's getting really close because he's going to call out anyone who believes in God who may not love like he does. But then he's going to want to say, by no means, however, are Christians the only ones who believe in the true God or in Jesus. So then I want to ask him, well, who else
1: believes in the true God or in Jesus? Um, I think he does address that later on. Okay. Yeah. um, It's not necessarily direct, but he, he does talk about. Uh, there are, are other faiths in Islam and Judaism and Buddhism, and, and there are non-Christians who are more Christian than. I mean, it... right. But what does it mean? I guess I want
0: to ask him. What does it mean to, for him to say that um, Christians are not the only ones who believe in the true God or in Jesus?
1: If it stopped with true God, I could almost make logical sense of it, but I would still greatly disagree. So I'm not sure how a non-Christian believes in Jesus. Yeah, so even if you compare, like, so the
0: three great model theistic that face, uh, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, we all profess that there is one theistic God, but the descriptions of that God are vastly different between the the three of those faiths. And particularly their treatment of Jesus. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. They don't agree. Right, so Islam is, you know, Jesus is a good prophet. In Judaism, Jesus maybe was a good prophet, maybe was a a
1: bad guy. It wasn't too long into the early church that the synagogues came up with the curse of the Nazarenes that effectively cast the Christians out of the synagogue. So. And then, of course, for Christianity, we believe that He is God
0: the Son, eternal. Right. Um, so, a huge difference. And then you get past the monotheistic religions, and you get, you know, the atheistic religions. And depending on which version of Buddhism or Hinduism you have, there's you're just trying to reach enlightenment and and get out of existence. Um, polytheism from the Greeks. So there's lots of different choices out there. Um, that I don't know how you reconcile that statement because the, the God that's pictured there is
1: just completely different than the God of Christianity or even the God of Islam. Yeah, um, so as I said, I think this kind of points towards a more universalistic understanding. Uh, later on, and we're not going to cover these, but in Theses 80 and 81, he says... There are so many wonderful and incomparable things in Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism that are lacking in Christianity. Likewise, Roman Catholics, Pentecostals, and Jehovah's Witnesses possess many treasures that Lutherans can only envy. So this guy, from from all I can tell, he's a Lutheran, because he references that quite a bit. So so he's kind of saying uh, there's a lot of stuff out there that, boy, I wish we had that in our tradition. And then in the next one, this is where I think all of this kind of ethereal universalistic stuff ends up breaking down Um, because i think i think you naturally end up with statements like this one does not need to be a lutheran to be a lutheran in fact there are many non-lutherans who are more lutheran than many lutherans just as there are lutherans who are more un-lutheran than many non-lutherans of course what really matters is being christian yet once again there are many christians who are unchristian and even non-christians just as many non-christians are more christian than many christians yeah, and which point is that? Just for our that's numbers eighty and eighty one. Yeah, yeah.
0: So obviously, to me, a very confused thought process about what does it mean to be a Christian, because it means Christ follower. One who follows Christ is mm-hmm. first used derogatorily of those in Antioch, right. um, but they adopted it. And so, what does it mean to be more of a Christ follower when you're not? a Christ follower, I don't, that, that seems very counter. Now, I guess, in your, because I, in your early onset, let's read him charitably, maybe there's, he's saying that they hold to the tenets
1: of Christianity better than a Christian does. Yeah, I, I, if we're trying to be as charitable as possible, I could see that as a, maybe slightly confused reading of Romans 2, or something like that. Um, As I said, I've read the whole document, you know, took notes on a good portion of it. I think we're reading him relatively charitably. On the last statement my notes mentioned John 6 and John 14, 6, and I believe he would argue with either the inerrancy of Scripture or our interpretation of those passages as being that Christianity is an exclusivistic religion. So... Uh, I, think, I think number one is really highlighting that there's, there's actually a chasm between our understanding of Scripture and His. Yeah, and that was one of the points as I was reading through them
0: that I was asking myself, which Bible is he reading, uh, or where is he getting his information? Because he seems to make claims about who God is and the nature of who God is that contradict the Bible. And then I'm, I'm asking what's his source of information where he's getting it, mm-hmm. so. All right, well, I think we've um, dealt with number one. What would be the
1: next one that you'd wanna? Oh, I've got notes on more <coughs> than we can handle. Um, so I think real quick, let's go to number two. I'm gonna spend a lot of time, but here's, here's one where my notes say, I think I can agree with what's written. I suspect that in a discussion we would find out that we don't mean the same thing by the same words. Right. Uh, So So it's
0: basically a preview, it's kind of like we're taking number one and then applying it to
1: people. Yeah, uh, but this is more of kind of a human-human interaction type of thing. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. 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 So yeah, and and I'm only going to read the first half. Of number two, to love others unconditionally must be understood in terms of committing all that one is and has to seeking the well-being of all people equally together with one's own. To me, this is a mild restatement of the Golden Rule. And in general, um, depending on how you define some of the terms, what does it mean to seek someone's well-being? You know, I think there's some nuance to that. But in general, yeah, Jesus gave us the golden rule, and I think we ought to follow it. And I think this is pretty closely paralleling that, and I'm willing to to kind of say, yeah, okay, we can agree on that point, Right, yeah. Um, Do you wanna talk about number three? <laughs>
0: number three I found so odd as I was reading it. As, uh, the first two, you know, the end of the first one, I was like, okay, red flags with the kind of universalistic thing. And two, okay, I, I can kind of get it. And then three, work started to get to me, immediately getting strange. So yeah, I we mean. We actually had some fun. fun yeah, talking about this back yeah. and forth. Yeah, so um, yeah, let's read three and maybe um, talk through it So I, I can read it. Um, number three says to change the world in the way God wants it. Is necessary to do the following, and then he has five different subparts, uh, A, B, C, D, and E. A is share what you believe with others with all the passion and conviction you can muster by telling your story. For the most part, I can get behind that. I, my apologetics upbringing says, yeah, stories are great but Mormons have stories, Mm -hmm. Muslims have stories, so we've gotta get bit on just our experiential stories because what's more important to me than someone's story is what is real, what's really real. Uh,
1: But stories are great. And we should have a passionate story of Christ. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, B says, ask others to share what they believe in the same way through their own stories and pay close attention to what they say. Again, not horrible. If we're talking to someone on the street or a relative or a friend, we want to be great listeners. Um, Lots of times when I've talked with someone and they've identified as a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or something, I've come in with preconceived notions about what they believe because I know what the Church of uh, Latter-day Saints believes or I know what the Jehovah's Witness believes, but when I listen to them, I find out, oh, this person... Isn't necessary lock, like, stock, and barrel with the church. So yeah, it's good to listen. It's good to, to be a good listener. So so far, so good. Uh, C. Teach and empower others to do both of these things well until a snowball starts forming. And here's I mean. we where we're in the <laughs> yeah <laughs> What snowball are
1: we talking? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's not a common enough metaphor for me to really pick up. I mean, I, I guess it's a momentum thing. I think that's what he's talking about. I and but what's the momentum people sharing their
0: stories right that's that's that i think that's where it misses it for me because the whole purpose in me listening to someone else and hearing someone else is hopefully either i convince that assuming we disagree either i convince that person that what they believe is not true or i get convinced by some evidence or something that something i believe wasn't true and then we lock in on what is truly true and I would want to see the momentum gain behind what's truly true not behind this sharing of stories and you know this communal storytelling where there's a snowball because I think we would agree simply sharing stories isn't the goal right, because you can share stories until you die and go to hell and what have we
1: accomplished if we're not winning people to Christ right. and building up believers who are already in Christ? So would we say that it's part of the means that we use, but it's not the end unto itself? Absolutely. Okay. okay. So so I think we look at the snowball and go, yeah.
0: what's the point of the snowball? Yeah. Okay. Um, D is work with others to create spaces and opportunities for this to happen. I mean, does he mean go downtown to witness? I could be behind that. If he means open up a storytelling center, I think I would not be behind that. I think we've
1: already got a few of those
0: anyway. Yeah. E, do what you can to keep the snowball rolling, but when you get tired, take a break and let others push for a while. This may mean getting stuck in the snowball, but sooner or later, God will make sure you get out. You know that shrill emoji? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what this means. Uh, Maybe if there's enough momentum, you can take a break and let it keep going. Uh, I don't know what it means to get stuck in the snowball. So yeah, this was very odd to me. So I don't know, did you have anything else on? No, and if we don't keep moving, (laughs) we're never gonna, it's gonna be like a five hour first episode. That's right. All right, so um, four, I didn't have anything on four. Yeah. um,
1: Five, I found odd. So once you read five, okay. The Bible is not an instruction manual on how people should live, but a love letter from God to us. Although love involves respecting rules and guidelines, the last thing that true lovers need is a bunch of instructions. Yeah. So
0: I guess the first thing that strikes me is a lowering of the status of God because I wouldn't think of me and God as true lovers. He is a completely different being than we are. Um, He's a being who has always existed. He acts. He is just because of his nature. Um, And while the Bible is certainly in some sense a love letter to us, there's a whole lot of instructions in it that he. <laughs> I remember a few. Thou shalt not Wants us like to that. keep. So this is this is where I, I this is where I start. Okay, what Bible is he reading? And, and where what source of information does he have that I don't have? And I don't. I don't I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek because I think he's just emoting what he would like to be the truth, but not necessarily the truth. What were yeah. your notes? Um,
1: well, to answer. That rhetorical question. Uh, I, I, after reading through this, I would guess, and it's a guess, I'll admit that, but I would guess that he would not hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. That there are certain parts of Scripture that he would either um, completely rationalize away, put in a different context, or maybe just outright deny. Um, so I, I think the what Bible is he reading? It may be a Luther Bible or it may be one of, you know, it, it may be an ESV, mm-hmm. but um, I think we're reading very, very different. Right. How he comes at the scripture sure. right? is much different than what we do. You know, my notes on this were um, I agree with you that the Bible's not primarily a love letter, but I'm okay with parts of it being, or, or, or maybe even the whole being seen as that. And yet, certainly the instruction manual part, which I think really devalues God's commandments, and I mean, absolutely, it it just, it it seems to cheapen what I think is part of the most important part of Scripture, which is... As a parent, your
0: structures, your strictures on your children are not merely instruction manual of do's and don'ts, I assume that you don't allow your children to do certain things for their own good. I don't. (laughs) don't, And as God is a loving God to us, part of the love is that he gives us commandments that are for our own good to help us walk in a way that we are fulfilled.
1: Sorry, I interrupted you. Well, no, that's fine. But you, you also commented on something that I'm going to comment on now, and that is that that's an interesting statement to come as number five of 94 theses, many of which are instructive, right? So, he's putting this out because he believes that it's good and beneficial for his readers, and many of the things in here are what we ought to do. But somehow, when the Bible parallels that, it's demeaning to the Bible to think of it as an instruction manual. Well. To me, it's very lovely to think that we're we're, we're sinners living in a world that's wracked with sin. We have sin and death all around us. And God has condescended to reveal himself to us in a loving and lovely way. But he's also been kind enough to tell us, here's how I mean for you to live for my glory and your benefit. Mm Um... To me, that doesn't denigrate the fact that we have an instruction manual. It elevates it to go, good God, and I mean that literally, you love us so much to tell us how to do it right. right. I mean, that that's a lovely thing to me. So I, I think this is a false dichotomy. I think it's setting two things against one another that really are much more in parallel or kind of working together. Um, and I... The last thing the true lovers need is a bunch of instructions. Well, if you have two non-sinner lovers, maybe, but we have vows at weddings because we expect that two people who are madly in love at 18 might need some guide rails at 30 or 40 or 60 or 18 and a half. Right. Right. I mean, we, we just expect that people, that, that rules are good for us. They. They can be oppressive. They can be binding, but they can also be very liberating. And so, I, I just it it seems like a very narrow view that misses why God gives the law that He gives. Yeah, absolutely agree with
0: you. God loves us enough to tell us, "Hey, here's what's your best. Here's what here's what's going to work out for you," um, and He knows we need to walk in a circumspect circumspect manner. Uh, Just like the rules that he gave the uh, Israelite children, not all of those we would say map over to some eternal moral precept, but they were ceremonial that kept them separate from the surrounding people. Was he doing that just because he was a big bad meanie? No, he was doing it to protect them Mm -hmm. um, because of his love for them. So I I agree with you, it's a, a false dichotomy to say a love letter couldn't have instructions, especially when there's this great chasm between us and him. Mm -hmm. Our natures are are very different. Hey guys, thanks for listening in to our first episode of Mike and Mike theology plus. Obviously we got some audio challenges. The room we're in has a huge echo. We're still learning uh, what we're doing here, but hopefully we're going to deliver to you great content that you'll find interesting whether you're driving into work or out on a jog. Perhaps we struck too deep with our first topic, so if there are other topics you'd like to hear us discuss, maybe a question you have about the Bible or about a particular viewpoint of the Bible, perhaps you have heard of a contradiction in the Bible that you would like discussed, Please comment, and we will love to get to those and discuss what's truly important to you. Be sure to listen in to Episode 2 where we conclude our discussion and critique of David A. Brondos' 94 Theses. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology.